You may or may not know that today is St. David's Day. And uh, uh, you also may or may not know that according to the Catholic and Orthodox churches, there are certain people who live lives that are so good. And, and actually, they have to not just be good, they have to be miraculously good. So they're so good, it's a miracle. And these people are recognized as saints. They're holy people, and their salvation is assured. And these people have, according to the stories, they have the privilege of being able to intercede with God on behalf of individuals in various situations. And one of the benefits of sainthood is that if you are a saint, you are given certain people or places or situations that honor you and, and people pray to you, hoping you'll pass those prayers along to God on their behalf in those situations. If you're a saint, you also have, you get to have a day that's your special day. And of course, there are more than 365 saints. So saints have to share their days with each other. It's, besides being St. David's Day, according to one website I checked, today is the feast of at least 11 other saints, including a certain St. Swebert of Kaiservert, just in case you were wondering. But today is most famous for being St. David's Day, the, 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 the celebration of St. David of Wales. And I know about St. David because he is the patron saint of Wales. And when I was in seminary, my parents went to Wales, and my mother in Wales, she bought me a cross of St. David, and I, and I wear it on a necklace around my neck often. And if, and if my neck weren't bound up in a bow tie, I would show it to you. But sometime find me when my neck isn't bound in a bow tie, and I'll show you the cross of St. David, which is pretty cool. Um, anyway, I've never been to Wales. I should go, though, and I hope to go to Wales someday. Like most white Americans, I have ancestors from all over Europe, and one of the places I have ancestors from is Wales. In fact, the name Daniel, the last name Daniel, was imported by my Welsh ancestors. So, Yay, Wales, right? By the way, the musicologically astute among you might notice that the three hymns we are singing today are all set to Welsh tunes. And so you may be asking, why should I care about some Catholic saint from Wales, which isn't even a Catholic country anymore? And by the way, why are we celebrating another country's national holiday at an American church? Well, St. David is the patron saint of Wales, but since we're Northern Californians, it might help if I point out that St. David is also the patron saint of vegetarians. <laughs> in fact, in today's language, St. David uh, is someone we would probably describe as a vegan. In fact, so strict a vegan that he directed the monks under his supervision to pull their own plows so as not to oppress the oxen. And that's, that's hardcore. That would be impressive. <laughs> That would be impressive even in some parts of Berkeley, right? <laughs> but I want to talk about St. David today because I'm interested in what he had to say about a particular heresy, Pelagianism. What, Pelagianism was a heresy because Pelagians rejected the idea of original sin. And they believed that ordinary humans could live blameless and perfect, life, perfect lives without the help of God. They just had to work on it on their own, and they could be perfect. Now, St. David lived around 1,500 years ago, so some of the details are a little bit foggy, but according to the most famous story from uh, the life of St. David, 
St. David went to a, a meeting. Christians from all over England, perhaps, all over the, the UK, perhaps, came from England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales, and they gathered in Wales to argue about Pelagianism, to talk about whether or not it was possible for a person to be good, to live a blameless life without the aid of God's grace. And as they were talking, God apparently really liked what David had to say because, because God created a hill underneath David and suddenly David was standing up above the crowds and a, and a dove fell, came down and, and rested on, on David's shoulder. And that was a sign that what David was saying uh, to refute Pelagianism was God's opinion as well. And that's why, by the way, if you ever see a picture of St. David, he, he has a, a, a dove on his shoulder. And sometimes he's even holding a leek because he was a vegetarian. Um, now, ordinarily, when I stand in this pulpit, it is my habit to promote heresy. I think religion should evolve, and I'm attracted to heretics. I'm attracted to artists and freethinkers who are willing to challenge us, and I want my mind to expand, and I, and I want my soul stretched. But when it comes to Pelagianism, when it comes to the idea that people can choose to be good, can be blameless without the help of God, I confess that I'm with St. David. I know it sounds good to say that humans are capable of perfection and don't need divine help to be virtuous. But from the experience of my own failings and from my observations as a pastor who has helped others process their failings, I think it is cruel to suggest that imperfection comes as a result of insufficient effort. Of course there are times, there, there are times more numerous than, than can be counted when people could have and should have chosen to be righteous. But I also think there is a kindness associated with acknowledging that our humanity brings with it a certain measure of weakness and frailty. Incidentally, this is also one of the reasons why I like John Calvin. John Calvin was no Pelagian. I've, also, I've always felt it more gracious to acknowledge a tendency to miss the mark, to fail, to sin. I think it's gracious to acknowledge it's not so that we feel guilty for sinning, but so that we feel less guilt around the fact that none of us is going to be that perfect, perfect combination of Mother Teresa and Mary Poppins and Marilyn Monroe that we all want to be. And speaking of movie stars from the middle of the 20th century, let me tell you a story that involves my aunt, who was a movie star. She's known to most of the world by her stage name, Donna Reed. One day when I was a kid, my mom went down to our church, the Mendocino Presbyterian Church, and there in front of the church, she found the pastor's wife consulting, consulting, a tourist who was crying and the pastor's wife saw my mom and said to this grieving woman let me introduce you to my friend she's Donna Reed's sister and that made it worse <laughs> the woman went from crying to wailing and said Donna Reed's sister Donna Reed always made me feel like such a failure she had a perfect house a perfect life you're Donna Reed's sister. You would hate me if you knew me. My life is a mess. My home is a mess. To which my mom replied, 
it's true. My sister's house is immaculate because my sister has servants. She's a movie star. She has help. Donna doesn't do a lick of housework herself. And that snapped the woman out of it. She stopped crying. She gave my mother a hug and walked on her way. My mother was channeling St. David of Wales. And I want to say that a version of the Pelagian heresy abides in American culture today, especially among white Protestants. And that version of Pelagianism is the one that says it's possible to be happy all of the time. All you have to do is have the right attitude. Think the right thoughts. Walk on the sunny side of the street and you can be happy. Of course, this is baloney. But the heresy has some deep cultural roots among white, middle-class American Protestants. I once looked through the yellow pages for San Jose, back when I lived in San Jose and back when there were yellow pages. And I counted up all of the names of Protestant churches that had some kind of names, they were named with some, they had some version of a victorious name in their title. They were called the Victory Church or Abundant Life Church or Church of Praise. There were dozens and dozens of such churches. There were no churches that were Protestant that had any name about comfort or help or sorrow. The closest I came was Calvary, which is where Jesus died, but then he just rose from the dead anyway. It wasn't, it wasn't that, you know. <laughs> the Catholics, on the other hand, they called themselves Our Lady of Sorrows. Or my favorite is the Portuguese church in San Jose, which is called Five Wounds, one for each of Jesus' wounds on Calvary. You know, it's a known fact that during an economic downturn, when people are suffering from loss and from anxiety, the attendance at white mainline Protestant churches like ours declines. Because people like us don't want to show up at church and have people find out that we're grieving or that we're anxious or that we're worried about the future. Meanwhile, in less affluent congregations, especially congregations of color, especially Catholic congregations of color, Abundance, I mean, attendance explodes during economic downturns. The Catholics, they're not Pelagians. They know that church is where you go not to be confident, but to find comfort. Not to be strong, but to find a little bit of strength. During the economic downturn of 2009, when I lived in San Jose, my congregation in San Jose, the, the attendance dropped by 20% in 2009. Meanwhile, the Roman Catholic Church across the street from our house, which is called Our, our Lady of Guadalupe, predominantly Hispanic, their attendance mushroomed. On Sunday mornings, if we didn't leave for church between Masses, we had to beat the, or the early Mass before the early and mid-Mass got together. If we didn't leave on time, we couldn't get out of our driveway because the traffic was so congested. Our neighbors across the street, they weren't afflicted by the Pelagian heresy. Now I wish I could preach as St. David of Wales preached. 
I wish God would lift up the ground under my feet and send down a dove for my shoulders so that I could say in the most convincing way possible, it is okay to be sad. Grief is not a sign of weakness. Grief is not a moral failing. Grief is a healthy response to life. No amount of emotional fortitude can hold back sadness, and nor should it. I wish I was the kind of pastor who could create a community that made space for sadness, that, that welcomed the tears of its members. I wish I could say the right things, do the right things, so that when times are tough, church is the first place people want to come and not the last place people want to come. I wish, if only, if just... I'm starting to sound like a heretic. So instead, let me say this. I pray that God will move among us in this congregation and in churches everywhere so that mourning and grieving children of God will come into God's house knowing that the family of God is a place of comfort, a place of help, a place where tears are welcomed, a place where grace is extended. A place of hope that knows what despair feels like. A place of victory that has experienced defeat. A place of joy that is acquainted with sorrow. A place of strength that remembers its own weakness. A place where heresies are welcomed, but where, in this case anyway, orthodox is, orthodoxy is remembered with gratitude. A place where we recall the words of the psalmist, Where is my God? Tears have been my daily bread. Day and night, while people say to me continuously, Where is your God? In a few minutes, we will come to the table to celebrate the sacrament of communion. And at the table, I invite you to remember that the family of God is a family. Every family experiences time of, times of joy and times of grief. No family would be functional if it didn't share those ups and downs together. So I hope you will come to the table if you are joyful. And I hope you will come to the table if you are sad. I hope you will come to the table if you are confident. And come if you are anxious. God's table is for everyone in every season of life. And I think this is an important thing to remember right now. You know, a lot of us are worried. And in particular, a lot of us in this congregation and around the world, a lot of us are worried about the coronavirus. And, and uh, you know, it's not just a health concern anymore, right? The world's financial markets are in turmoil. Racism against Asian people is on the rise. Things are falling apart. And that has a lot of us worried about the state of our country, about the state of our world. I mean, these are conditions that lead to despotism and tyranny. And of course, this is happening on top of all of the regular sadnesses that exist among humans, regardless of what's happening in the world around us. And if you're feeling sadness and worry and uncertainty, it's okay. You are loved. You are welcomed. You, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be happy all the time. You only have to be a child of God, which indeed 
you are. So, dearly beloved, come to the table. Amen.